Good evening, church. As Ross said, my name is Luthor, and if you don't know me by now, shame on you. Um, oh, yeah, let's do that. Thanks, man. <laughs> Always looking out for me. Let's just have a little conversation <laughs> before I start preaching. I'm not going to be able to do this until I preach. I mean, I'm not going to be able to preach until I do this. I just want you guys to confess. <laughs> when we lost to New Zealand in the first round, how many of you in this room, put up your hands, like, oh no, no, but, oh no, we're not going to win, no. Yo, no, the spring box, eh? No. <laughs> I just want to say, <laughs> shame on you. <laughs> Ye of little faith. <laughs> I stood up on a chair back there during youth after it happened, and I said, all of you that are speaking like this now, you've got no right to celebrate when you win. Don't celebrate when you win. And so when we're winning here, I was, hey, sit, hey, down, boy. <laughs> you didn't deserve this. And now don't go, don't go to Facebook and start deleting your stuff. Keep it there, badge of shame, forever. Cool, very amped to be preaching off the back of a World Cup when I feel like a champion. I don't really care how this goes. I'm kidding. I care that this goes well. Um, we're not off to a great start. But today, I'm going to be carrying on the series, God's Will for Your Life. And so we're on week three. If you've been around for the past two weeks, uh, the first week, I think Sia spoke about dying, bearing your seed, and we've been using tree analogies. And then Ross last week spoke, spoke about the, the uh, roots of bitterness, and we're going to address that in a little bit. Um, but today, I'm going to be speaking about being led by the Spirit. And so we've all had this conversation at some stage. I heard people talking about it in Christian circles. I want to be more led by the Spirit. I wonder what it looks like to be more led by the Spirit. And we've heard some people do some crazy, some weird and wonderful things in the name of being led by the Spirit. Some of them like faulty, some of them like super, super cool. And so I'm just going to tell you a few stories. I remember talking to Sia or we're listening to someone who'd left another church to go to another church going, uh, I feel like God led me here. And I think they were just kind of chasing a hype, but it's just my opinion. And then... That hype died down a little bit. They went back to their church, and then I had a conversation again, going, hey, man, how are you doing? Nice to see you back at church. What's going on? Not at this church. Nice to see you back at home, church. And he's like, yeah, bro, I was just in worship one day, and I just felt the Lord tell me, go home, bro. (laughs) So I was like, ah. (laughs) Uh, So that's just one of the stories, and I heard an even more like weird one where someone was just told by God, go do a handstand at a petrol station that I'm going to show you. I don't know if this is true or not. This one is like, if it's true, like, geez, Louise, if it's not, then like, hey. But anyways, apparently this guy went there and he was like, ah, I don't know if I want to do this. But he was like, just do it. And then he did a handstand. And then the person who was left there doing the graveyard shift was like, I'm so glad you did that. God led me. I mean, like, I told God that tonight is the night. If he doesn't show me this thing, then I'm not, I'm going to go end it. I'm going to end my life, whatever. So I heard a story like that. And I mean, when the Spirit tells you to do something outrageous like that, like, it's really awesome when you hear stories like that and you only hope they're true. The third one's that I was at DHS, and the guys who led SCA when I was at DHS were a little bit radical, like in, when I was in grade 8 and grade 9. And so I'd go in, and they'd be speaking in tongues, and they'd be falling over and doing healings and all that stuff. And I wasn't ready for that, and so I was like, mm-mm. And worse than that, it'd be like the one half of the room would be, like, that sound legit, and they'd do their thing. And then the other side of the room would be going, sha, 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 sha. Going, sounds like tongues. <laughs> <laughs> this one, ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so if you're anything like me, like, like me, you just disengage with that stuff. You stay away from it altogether. You just go, I'm going stick to stick to God and Jesus. I'm cool. 
Holy Spirit stuff can stay Holy Spirit stuff, but I feel or I've reached the conclusion that that's like throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And here's why, it's because Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit. He actually says this in, in John 16 verse 7, but I tell you, it's good that I am going away. It's good that I'm going to die and go back to my Father. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then again, he says it in the Great Commission, just to make it clear that this Holy Spirit is not exclusive, it's for everyone. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And know that I will be with you even till the end of the age. But it's teaching them to obey, I mean, and it's baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All of it is there, it's part and parcel, so we can't throw it out. We have to be willing to grapple with this idea of the Holy Spirit and and, and come to terms with and actually accept it into our lives and see what it means for us. So we, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to investigate being led by the Spirit. just want to start by saying that Jesus himself was led by the Holy Spirit. And so that's a strong case right up front, is that Jesus himself was led by the Holy Spirit. In fact, I'd want to go as far as to say that Jesus couldn't have done anything he did apart from the Holy Spirit. Here's a few scriptures to back that up. Luke 1 verse 35, the angels answered, and he's speaking to Mary here, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called, and he will be called the Son of God. Luke, that was at his conception, and so Holy Spirit was involved in his conception. Luke 3 verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. I called it a pigeon earlier. And the voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And then Luke 4 verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days and 40 nights he was tempted by the devil. I just paraphrased it again. Luke 4 verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. Then in Matthew 12 verse 28 it says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so he was just making a case that he's not working in tandem with, with demons, but that he's working with the Holy Spirit to achieve the things that he's here to do to drive out demons. He says, it wouldn't make sense if I was on the de demon side driving out demons. It's kind of like Mario Toje knocking out um, Sinclair last, yesterday. You're not going to win the game like that. Knock out the other guys. <clears throat> but anyways, and so he's making that case and he goes, but if I'm in partnership with the Spirit, then what I'm doing is for God. And then in Romans 8 verse 11, it says this, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And so Jesus was even involved, I mean, God, the Holy Spirit was even involved in the resurrection of Jesus. From birth to death to resurrection. Holy Spirit was all over it. And then he passes that to us in the Great Commission. And so... The first thing we want to investigate is if Jesus was led by the Spirit, how then can we be led by the same Spirit? How can we be led like Him? And if you've been around church any amount of time or around Christians on Facebook, maybe you are those Christians who just post, make those scripture notes and pictures and all that stuff and put it on social media. You will have heard a lot of language about death, especially in the last two, three weeks where uh, Ross and Sia were speaking about Dying, they're going, you need to die. And you're going, ah, why must I die? But you would have heard this idea of dying to yourself, of being buried with Christ and being raised with him, 
whole lot of dying to self, all that kind of language. Being led begins right there. Being led begins with dying to yourself. In fact, after Jesus was baptized, the first thing the Spirit does to him is that takes him into the wilderness to go die. Not physically, but he had to die to, to the flesh. He had to die to the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. And so that 40 days was about him stepping out of his own way and receiving what, and, and, live, and sustaining himself on God alone and the Holy Spirit alone. And so he had to die to himself. In the same way we have to die to ourselves, I like to call it stepping out of your own way. Because the thing, the main thing that stops us from living for someone else, in this case God, or being led by someone else, in this case the Spirit, is us standing in our own way. Us wanting to be led by us. Us wanting, not wanting to surrender our, our rule to someone else. And so the first thing that has to happen is that we have to be willing to die to ourselves. We, there's no going forward without dying to yourself. Only one of you can lead. We often do this. We pray strong, powerful prayers. Oh, Jesus, won't you just take the wheel? Jesus, won't you just take this thing from me? And we, we, we pray that prayer, but we hold on to the steering wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> Jesus, take this thing from me. And then we, we, we pray with closed hands. We won't let it go. So we can say the right stuff, but we're not willing to die to ourselves. We're not willing to die to our own ways. The thing I've learned from personal experience is that I've, even when I've been terrified to let something go, once I've gotten the courage and I've started to work out letting it go, the thing I've received in exchange has been exceedingly and abundantly more every single time. Making the decision to uh, step out of like old friendship circles and immerse myself in this, making the decision to uh, forget my rugby dreams and my sports aspirations, all that stuff, and step into this, it's felt like a risk in the beginning. When I was standing there going, I've decided to follow Jesus, it wasn't easy to sing that song. It wasn't easy to follow through with it. But four years later, I'm so happy about what I do. I love it more than anything. It was enough for me to run on the stage yesterday and slide as I saw Lukanya Am score on the screen. I didn't need to be there being the person scoring the try. And I'm content with that. But God has given me exceedingly and abundantly more. It says in Psalm 34 verse 7, I mean 37 verse 4, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now when we read this, we go, I'm going to pay, I'm going to delight in the Lord so that I can get the thing that I want. I'm going to fixate on God or delight in him so that I can get the thing that I want. And then God becomes the means to an end. Then in fact, we're actually delighting in the stuff. I want a nice car. I want a nice house. I want nice things, therefore I'm going to delight in the Lord. When actually it's delight in the Lord. And those things you want, he's going to take those away. He's going to give you new desires. He's going to give you new desires for your heart. And then the thing that follows that, the thing that follows dying is being rooted. Now, let me just let you in on a little secret. I was supposed to preach last week about love. Ross preached last week about bitterness. <laughs> and I was just sitting there just going, you're butchering it. You're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> so now I'm going to try to do it right. But being rooted means that we dig deep. And I don't know if you remember the last time I preached, but I spoke about remaining. 
It means that we dig deep, we get rooted deep into the love of Jesus, and then we remain there. I think the most irritating thing about human seeds is that we stand up when we don't like it anymore, we shake the dust off and we move somewhere else more comfortable, somewhere else more convenient. We have to dig deep and we have to remain rooted in the love of Jesus. Because your roots determine your fruits. Write that down. Hello. <laughs> mm. That wasn't even a joke, but I said it like a joke. But really, that the parable of the sower is a parable about environments and where you're rooted determines the fruit that you're going to bear. And so it matters that we're rooted in the love of Jesus. Have you ever met these Christians that, like when you encounter them, they just suck so much that they're like a contradiction to the whole Bible. They seem like they were baptized in vinegar. You met those Christians? Just, if you had to describe these Christians, the sound effect is yuck. That's what they are, these sucky Christians. If you, if you dig or scratch a little bit below that surface, you'll find that these roots, these people are rooted in, unhealth, in an unhealthy fear of God. Rooted in religion that says you need to do A, B, and C to earn favor, to earn righteousness, to earn grace. Rooted in something that, that's so bad that, that they've almost forgotten about Jesus. Jesus is, like I said, a means to an end. But then you meet other Christians, normally the, like of the older assortment, people that have been through life, like old couples, just the best. And they just, it's not that life has stopped being hard. They, they just... They just know what's important. They just walk with grace. They're so loving. They're so life-giving. I speak about the Elsons, the senior Elsons. Not, no offense, Justin. Um, but they're just so dope to be around. <laughs> so encouraging all the time. So life-giving. <laughs> and if you scratch beneath that surface, you find the love of Jesus Christ at the center. And so it's, it matters that you're rooted in the love of Jesus Christ. And here in 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I have no love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have all the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I have absolutely everything, if I give myself over to hardships so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing and it means nothing. Love is the central theme of the Bible. Love is who Jesus is. Love is who God is. Goes on to describe the characteristics of love. It says love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Pay attention. That's the characteristics of love. In Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23, it says, But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We can deduce from that that if you're immersed in love, you bear the fruits of love. If you're immersed in love, you bear the fruits of the Spirit. It's one and the same thing. And so we want to be rooted in the love of Jesus Christ so that we can bear the fruits that display the glory of God. So we're going to move on quickly, but once you've died, once you've been rooted, and the Spirit is starting to work in you and you bear fruit, I want you to understand this. It's a process. 
It's always going to be a process. There's people who give up on the first lap because they don't understand that it's a process. There's people who pray their prayers and, like I say, keep holding on to the word because you don't understand that it's a process. That's the first thing you need to understand before I carry on, is that it's a process. In this process, like the seed falls, dies, goes into the ground, and then lays dormant, and then starts to take up root. The same way, we're in a process. And um, like, I don't know if you know this thing, but when a seed dies, you did the project at school, you did it in glass, like it was put in a glass case thing with a little bean, and then you see it's quiet for a while, and then that thing starts to grow out and go down. When we did it in Port Edward, because we do things properly, got given like real trees and then you put them in the ground and for a while nothing's happening but at some stage that tree breaks the, breaks the ground. It was growing, you just couldn't see it until it breaks the ground, process. And so this thing happens and once it breaks the surface, it's exposed to the light and it starts to depend on the light for sustenance, it starts to depend on the light for nourishment. It starts to grow towards the light. That's called photosynthesis. Say it with me, photosynthesis. <laughs> mm. And so that's the tree's process of nourishment. But there's a second process, brace yourself. It's called phototropism. <laughs> Hello, let me explain. <laughs> mm. Bio student, watch out. So what happens in this process is that the tree actually it's got this chemical in it that, that, that triggers a reaction that makes the cells on the side that, that's away from the light elongate themselves so that the tree is redirected towards the light. And that's constantly happening in the plant so that it always follows the light. It's twisting itself and pushing itself constantly towards the light. You move it away from the window, you expose it to light. It's, excuse me. <laughs> it's gonna direct itself. So that always happens at the worst time. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> okay, it moves towards the light. And so, this is the thing that I want us to catch is because this applies to us as well. And I want us to see this is us being directed by the Spirit, moving towards the Spirit, twisting ourselves, turning ourselves, always directing ourselves and trying to lean into what the Spirit is doing, always being directed by the Spirit. So we've been buried, we've died, we've immersed ourselves in the love of Jesus and we're being led by the Spirit. Here's how this works and now I'm going to give you four steps and then we're going to close this whole thing. So the first way that the Spirit starts to work in us well and, and lead us and direct us is that it starts in our hearts. It starts inside us. When the Spirit comes to live within us, it's, it's in our consciousness, it's in our conviction. The Holy Spirit starts to work in our convictions. The scripture says this. It says, this is the covenant I will make with people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know the Lord. Or they will all know me. Right now, this, we're in a time where the Spirit lives within us, where the Spirit works in us, within us. His law has been written in our minds and in our hearts. And so the Spirit starts there, it starts to, the things I didn't believe or understand before, He's been working on, over time, in a process. The things I didn't think were wrong, I now believe and understand are wrong. I'm not doing them out of duty, I'm doing them because God has changed my heart around those things. 
Carl Lenz likes to put it like this. He says the spirit doesn't do behavior modification. He does soul transformation. And so that's what's happening inside us all the time. It's soul transformation that starts on the inside and works itself out. Pay attention, it's the spirit. The second thing is the scriptures. Scriptures are God's word. That's supposed to sustain us. It's, remember I did that message, get that bread? <laughs> Scripture's meant to be our daily bread. That's what Jesus used to defend himself in the desert. That's what he stood on, the word of God. And so this is supposed to be the second thing where, where when we read Scripture, the Spirit works within us to reveal things that we didn't understand before. The Bible is the most hyperlinked text in the world and it, it it's got no bottom, it's, 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 it's so rich and so full, and it's got all the secrets to heaven and earth in it. But we don't just read it and understand. It's progressive revelation where in time we read the same thing over and over again. That Psalm 37 verse 4 which says, Delight in the Lord, I only had the revelation like this year, and we've read that so many times for so many years. But each time there's something new that's to be uncovered, something new to be revealed. And so that's another way that the Spirit works within us through God's Word. I just want to say sometimes we get to learn the character of God, and so it helps our discernment. Because sometimes we're wondering as Christians, we ask silly questions like, should I forgive? As a mature Christian, should you be asking that question? No, the Scripture is very clear about forgiveness. We should be asking the Spirit to help us to forgive. And so we need to immerse ourselves in Scripture, and the Spirit works within us to make us understand that stuff and uncover things we didn't understand before. The third thing is to test every spirit. It says in 1 John 4 verse 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. Because not every spirit is from God, and that ends up making us do some crazy stuff in the name of the Spirit when it really isn't the Spirit. And so we need to test Every word, we need to test every spirit. If you really have to do it the old school way, pull out a cloth like Gideon and go, God, wet that and dry the grass. Tomorrow, do it the other way around and I'll believe it's you. I'm kidding, but just test every spirit. <laughs> and then the last thing, and I was reluctant to put this in, but I think it's very important and I think I'd be missing something if I didn't put it in. You know the way that, that plant extends itself, the side that's been deprived of the light, it keeps twisting and turning those sides and exposing those sides to the light, working so that everything is put into the light. That process that I, I described, in the same way, we have to constantly be repenting, constantly changing our minds. Dying is an everyday thing. Every day we wake up, we make the decision to die to ourselves and put God first. We make the decision to change our minds on the things that might not be of the Spirit, the things that might not be of God. That's a daily thing we too much water <sighs> okay anyways here's what I'm going to land on I'm, I just want to say that the last thing that we need to do is to pay attention I don't know how to ask this rather than say what, what would it look like if we didn't think that listening to the spirit was an activity we did in a huddle and prayed we did in our closet at home and did at church on Sundays. What if we walked like Jesus, constantly paying attention to what the Spirit might be saying, what the Spirit might be directing us to do? And that's the challenge, and so we're going to unpack that a little bit. And, and at Elevate Education, 
I've, I, I teach with them part-time, and they've got this triangle, and it's like a food chain in a sense, with three tiers that describe school students. At the bottom is the learn section, and so everyone who comes to school who hears the teachers speak counts in the learn section, and in church, it's like the, that same section would be the same application. Anyone who's exposed to the gospel hears it, is in that bottom section. We're all in the bottom section just from being there. We all receive information about faith and Christianity and all this stuff. The second section is narrowed in a little bit. There's less of them. It's those 80% guys, those uh, middle to top guys. And in Elevate, it's called the master section. It's where people have understood the information so much that they, they know how to work it, make new arguments, um, manipulate it, all the rest of that stuff. And then there's a top section called the create sections. Those guys go over and above what they're supposed to do and start to make their own stuff. I tried to say a plural for thesis earlier. I don't know what it is even now. So <laughs> it's those people that write those, thing, those things. <laughs> <laughs> and formulate new ideas and new arguments and all the rest of that stuff. And so we're going to work through those categories for the people that are here. At the bottom of this, is new people. We've all been new to church. We've all started out our faith somewhere. At some stage I was raised in a Christian household, but it's when I came here that I stepped into my own faith and took control of it and, and seeked it out for myself. And so at that stage I was new. We've all been at the starting block. We've all been beginners. Some people here are beginners right now. Some haven't even made the decision. Some still figuring it out. Just keep coming. But here's the invitation. It's from Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, and it's in the message version. It says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. And so that's the first invitation, is just to take a chance on God. Come to Jesus, learn from his love. Walk with him, talk with him, and learn his rhythms of grace. And he will help you to live freely and lightly. And then the second tier of people is the more experienced Christians, those guys who are seasoned churchgoers, at least. That's like the bottom of the tiers. Like the guys who come to church every Sunday, who you're in this thing. And for you guys, I want to say something that Sia said in a normal conversation. It irritates me. Because why speak like T.D. Jakes in a normal conversation? <laughs> so we're just chatting with Sia, and he just goes, convenience cripples conviction. <laughs> Jeez, bruh. Just ask for some chips. <laughs> <laughs> but I wrote that down. I was like, mm, I'm going to save that for later. And so I wrote down, but why speak like that? Don't. <laughs> Repent. But that's what happens to the middle tier is that we get to a place where we have to choose between conviction and convenience. And we always choose the path that's most convenient, the path of least resistance. And that leads to us being crippled or, 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 or what do you call it in something? Stu yes, stuns your growth. We get stunted, whatever it's called. Yeah, <laughs> that thing. <laughs> and so there's a whole bunch of you in this room that God is challenging to do something, that God's been challenging to do something, been challenging you to go there, do this, do this to get you past this block. And you've been stuck, but because you've chosen convenience over conviction, 
When it comes to the simple, small things like, like tithing, like getting a good prayer routine, like forgiving, living generously, taking chances. I'm going to be vulnerable straight up. I've, I've had a battle with pornography, and the, the challenge was always talk to someone. And I was like, mm Talk to someone. Mm-mm. And I remained stuck because I refused to talk to someone. And at some stage, I took that chance. I said, the thing that's been keeping me stuck is because I've been refusing to listen to the one suggestion, the hardest thing seems to, because it's embarrassing. It's very hard to say, it's embar- but I'm, I'm older than that now. I don't care. <laughs> and I know you already said something about a girl. <laughs> my mom's here. Guys, just, <laughs> if you happen to talk to my mom, shut up. <laughs> But anyways, at some stage, I stepped out of that and I took a chance, but I did it on Facebook to someone who'd left this church and gone to Cape Town. And he was like, mm, bro, go talk to someone. And I found freedom when I've been bold enough and courageous enough to go step out of the thing that was more comfortable, more convenient, and talk to someone. Still a fight, but I'm winning. Talk to someone. The thing that God is challenging you to do, step out and do that. And then to the guys at the top tier, What happens to us at the top is that we start to chase experiences sometimes. We start to, we've, we've experienced this. This is cool, but I just want, I just want something more spirit-led. And so we leave this church and we go to another church that just stands on chairs and shouts hallelujah louder and dances when everyone dances. Same message, just stand on chairs. And then when that gets boring, I'm looking for some, I just want to be more spirit-led. Up we go again and we find another place. And so we've become like professional experience chasers, not people being led by the Spirit. When we're being led by the Spirit, this is what it looks like in the Old Testament. Is that someone who was afraid to go speak to Paul was told, go speak to Paul when he was still sore, when he was still murdering Christians. And they went. And then Paul changed the world. Someone else was told, get up and run into the desert. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what was going to happen when he got there. He got up and he ran into the desert. When he got there, he said, now run close to the chariot that you see over there. He got up and he ran there. Only when he was there did he know what he was there to do. The fact is that once they'd received the Spirit at Pentecost, they didn't move from upper room to upper room chasing an experience. They started to be obedient to the go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You've been through the process. You've learned. You've mastered this thing. And now it's time for you to go make other disciples. It's time for you to obsess with other souls that can experience the thing that you've experienced. And so when you're at the top, don't look down and snarl at the people at the bottom. Help them up. And be obedient to your go. Acts 20, verse 22 to 23 says this and says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. That doesn't sound like an easy thing. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. It's not always going to be convenient. But the guys in Acts, led by the Spirit, went where the Spirit told them to go. And so that's the challenge, in fact, to everyone, is to stay obedient to your goal, whatever God might be challenging you to do. I'm going to ask Ross to come up, and he's going to close this whole procession. 
So, Ross, if you would... <laughs> please. <laughs> oh, Give... man, I just use words sometimes. <laughs> Give Lutz a hand. Well done, bro. Thank you so much. I would have had a stitch if I had that much water. <laughs> There's a... There are probably three groups of people here. There's some... You've never heard the Spirit. You don't know that the Spirit works in your life. And that would be a faith issue. The Scripture says we receive the Spirit by faith. And so I'm going to give you, in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to respond and say, Lord, come into my life. Literally, when you ask Christ into your life, something, you have a Spirit. When you ask Christ into your life, it's like that machine that brings you back to life. Thank you. Defibrillator. See ya, keeping me alive. And, uh, and, and some of you haven't prayed the prayer. And therefore the Spirit is not alive in your life, so you don't hear. Second group of people, God's spoken to you. He's spoken to you about stuff like tithing and forgiving and getting into community and reading the Scriptures. And you just haven't acted. And I want to say to you, you can't expect that the Holy Spirit will lead you in little matters in the moments in the do this with your life if you can't obey him in the simple things and for some of you it's just a, okay I'm going to follow you and it's a faith deal it's a okay Lord it's written your word I'm going to trust you and I'm going to step there it's essential that you're faithful with the things of his word if you want to be sensitive to his spirit and then for so many of us, and this is who I really want to pray for at the end, you, you following God, you get led by Him in moments. But I think that there are so many people who have not been empowered by the Spirit. You haven't got the boldness that Acts promises. And I want to pray for you that boldness comes upon you. And so I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And uh, I'm just going to start to the first. If, if, you, if you want to ask Jesus into your life, now as everybody closes their eyes and bows their heads, if you want to ask Christ into your life, why don't you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Is anyone? I'll see your hand. I'll see your hand. I'll see your hand. I'll see your hand. See your hand. For those six or seven, I'll see your hand. So eight, nine, I'll see your hand. I'll see your hand. For those people who put up their hands, here's what you pray. You go, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of sin resuscitate my spirit make me alive open my spiritual ears to hear change something and pray this Holy Spirit come into my life you pray that prayer heaven rejoices something incredible happens your life literally begins to shift even if you can't feel it I thank you, God, that every person who put up their hand, God, you saw those hands and your spirit is upon them now in Jesus' name. I want to pray for the second group, and I think this is a really big group. If, you, if God's spoken to you through the word and you just haven't had the guts to take a step of faith and just obey him in the little things, and tonight you want to change that. If that's you, stick up your hand so that you can say, help well done, well done, lots and lots of people. And now you just say, Holy Spirit, help me. I want the faith. I've got a little bit of faith, but I need more. 
help me. Help me, give me courage. Help me to step out and do what you've told me to do. I want to be changed on the inside. And you keep praying that prayer every day. You say, God, help. Help me. Speak to someone about it. Let the Holy Spirit work through people and through a community to help you. And lastly, if you need boldness, why don't you stick up your hand really high? If you, if you need boldness to go, my God, you see all those hands. I pray, Holy Spirit, you promised you would give us boldness. So I pray over every person with their hands up, God, that you will come upon them and you will give them boldness to preach your word, to speak to people. God, you give them boldness to be different at work so that people will see and they'll taste of their fruit and they'll begin to ask questions. I pray, God, that these people will lead many to Christ. And I thank you that because you promised, it has to happen. So God, come on your people. And be with them, I pray in Jesus' name, as they grow. Now may God bless you all. May He fill you with grace. And may those people who put up their hands for boldness look for the opportunity to speak about Jesus and watch what He does. You have a phenomenal evening. God bless. See you outside for coffee.